0: Global Justice Voices podcast, The Leadership Chronicles. Hello, dear listeners, welcome back to your favorite podcast. I'm Luis Silva, and I'm thrilled to be here with you for another engaging episode. But before we get started, I must mention that our beloved Zambian lawyer, Mehluli Malisa, is absent today due to an important meeting regarding his professional affiliation and professional affiliation is also a pivotal part of the Humphrey Fellowship, a topic we'll be covering in the following episodes. In his absence, our co-host Florence Sakara will be at the helm talking with Satish Bino, our inspiring guest of the day. Another additional piece of information is that the Global Leadership Forum, the GLF, an integral part of the Humphrey Fellowship, is just around the corner, happening next week from October 23rd to 27th, all fellows from all the 13 host campuses will attend this seminar in Washington, D.C. and here's our opportunity to meet our colleagues and the Global Justice Voices crew is eager to meet you all. Now let's get back to our guest, Satish Bino. Florence, the floor is yours.
1: Awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to our podcast. This is episode three. We are joined today with our fellow Satish from India. He is part of the prestigious Humphrey Fellowship here at the American University, Washington College of Law. We told you we're going to bring you amazing guests. So hold your seatbelts and get ready for this rocket that's about to land to the moon. Satish, welcome.
2: Oh, hi, hi, thank you. Thank you and Namaste to all. Thank you for having me here.
1: Thank you very much for joining us today. To kick things off, let our guests know about your journey to the Humphrey Fellowship. What's your personal background prior to joining?
2: Okay, uh, so as you said, my name is Satish Bino. I am an Indian police service officer. So in our place, we are known as IPS officers. So just a bit of background about India. So India, we have a system known as the Unitary Federalism. So in which we have a federal government, we also have the state governments, but we have lots of control of the federal government on the states. One of the means by virtue of which this kind of system works is a lot of checks and balances are in place. And one of which is the constitution and continuation of an all India service, which means that I am a federally recruited officer serving in the states so there are many all-india services in india i am part of one which is the indian police service so my brief is to work essentially as the district police chief in one of the states allotted to me and i have been doing this work for the last 15 years so technically in spite of all this jargons around i have a police officer so that's the fact so i have been fortunate to work in really tough situations I have supervised crime, I have supervised VIP arrangements, I have supervised huge, huge festivals and that kind of stuff. But as a policeman, at the end of the day, I feel that what this job gives you is the power to intervene positively and immediately in the lives of people. So, this has been a very satisfying journey for me so far
1: amazing this sounds um very exciting i'm sure that the humphrey fellowship has been one of those opportunities for you not only to exercise actively as a human rights from a human rights and law perspective what you do um and academically too but also you have had the unique experience of being a humphrey fellow that was there with the previous cohort and then now join the current cohort so, tell us through this time, what has been the most significant experience and highlights from your time as a Humphrey, in the Humphrey within the Humphrey program?
2: So, it has been a great transition for me. Though so I am told that uh, in the past over oh, 40 years of the Humphrey Fellowship, uh, me and my wife are among the first or second couple to have you know, got this opportunity. I feel so grateful for that. Now, about the experience, it has been a roller coaster ride. Like for example, when I landed up here, we as a family decided that I would be the person taking care of the kids. So I said, fine, it's such an easy job. I've seen my mom do it. I've seen everybody do it. Back in my place, you know, it's considered the lady's job. And maybe the chauvinist in me thought that I can very easily do this lady's job. So <laughs> I was already prepared for it, really. Then we came here. My wife goes to the college. Um, Amphrey program is really hectic. And of course, I had the easy job as I thought till then. Then the difficulty starts. (laughs) So the first day, I still remember I have to, you know, get my kids ready to school. Then I realized how difficult a job it is. Uh, I had to do some washing, some cleaning, some cooking pick up and drops. And one good thing about the U.S. is that it's not just school here. It's about the overall development of the kid. Like they have the child. Like they have lots of library classes, reading classes. They have uh, lots of activities after the school. So I really had my hands full. And at the end of the day, I really respect my mother and all the women folk all around the world uh, for, for doing this great job. And uh, that was a big learning for me, in some sense. So, that's it, yeah.
1: <laughs> you heard it here first, ladies, you know. This job, being a woman, taking care of kids is not an easy task, you know. And it's really wonderful to see that the Humphrey experience has brought out this opportunity for you to see it, as you mentioned, you know, like from your the women in your life. You, you didn't really have a true context of how it was, but the Humphrey Fellowship was able to push you into <laughs> yeah. that.
2: It was, it was. <laughs> I mean, as somebody has said, you know, uh, I suddenly remembered, experience is a bad teacher. <laughs> she gives the test first and the lessons later. Uh-huh. So, you know, I went to the test first and slowly I realized the lessons, but I really hope that... Uh, People, you know, learn from the experience of others and don't go through the entire uh, journey themselves. So this is one learning, which I hope. I have always
1: grown up knowing that experience is the best teacher. (laughs) So this is a new perspective. I'm very happy to hear a different take on that. But um, I'd like to shed some light on your unique transition from your role as an Indian police service officer to a Humphrey Fellow. Can you tell us how the transition came about, the challenges you faced and what motivated you to make this remarkable change?
2: So as I said in the beginning, like uh, I have spent close to 15 years in the police and uh, my professional life took me to different places. And incidentally, there was a point of time in my career when I was kind of charge of two completely different things like i was given the task of uh, doing some work in human rights Uh, i was the faculty coordinator for human rights and ethics in the national police academy at the same time i was also looking after the national center for tactics so national center for tactics deals with uh room intervention techniques. Like if you have somebody, a hostile inside a room who is threatening people, how do you enter and stuff like that. It also deals with urban operations and jungle operations and stuff like that. So there was some questions which was raised that how can a human rights guy be in this field? So I actually started looking at some theories and about the use of force, de-escalation tactics and all those things. And I found that nothing much Research has been done in this field. So this actually was a very interesting phase of time for me And this is something which I thought I should work on because this will be something of good importance because when You are having a gun in your hand or a weapon in your hand and you are facing a hostile It's your reflexes that work. It's it's the urge to preserve your life that work in that small space uh, to work in an ethical way, respecting human rights, I felt need a lot of training, a lot of, a lot of, you know, you know, debates and discussions, so that standard SOPs are put in place. So this is something which I want to work on, and uh, the Humphrey, I thought one of the most prestigious and, uh, you know, recognized uh, uh, professional development programs would provide me this opportunity. And what really attracted me to Humphrey was was, uh, if you see the content of the program, there is a huge aspect of the program which you can curate as per your needs with the help of a respected professor. And you can pick and choose the organizations where you want to get exposed to. So it was not something that was a program that was decided elsewhere that was kind of given to us, but it's a program which we have a role in making for ourselves so I think this this has been the journey and story so far yeah and I'm really uh, learning a lot Hmm.
1: that's amazing I I feel like I'm learning a lot also just by engaging with you know police officers like yourself you know um, especially coming from a human rights perspective usually the police tend to not be the friend they're enforcing rules you know So it's been a good experience to also hear from the other side and learn from the challenges that you face as police officers in terms of protecting the rights. And so, yeah, this is um, excellent. Thank you so much for sharing. I'm curious, you hold a certification as a resilience trainer from the University of Pennsylvania and the Bureau of Justice Assistance USA. Could you share with us the benefit of this certification in your role as a Deputy Inspector General of Police and how has it influenced your approach to work with the community?
2: Uh, I think it's a very, very uh, important question to me as far as uh, this uh, interaction is concerned and I would like to answer it in three different angles. The first thing is this programme, what is resilience? Number two, the importance of resilience or resilience training in policing but again not just in policing in all fields of professional activity or personal activity which we are engaged in and number three why is it important to me so as you've said I was here the last year itself so one of my biggest issues which I had already told was to find this exact balance between human rights and use of force in difficult scenarios and stuff like that so i did do some research and my research again exposed me to a very harsh reality and that reality or the fact is that policing is one of the most difficult jobs in the world as florence uh uh, kind of commented that about policing we have. All over the world, we are making or trying to make a transition from, a, you know, the, the the warrior kind of policeman to the guardian kind of policeman. But when we look deeply into the lives of a policeman, the amount of violent activity which he's exposed to daily, day in and day out, the amount of, uh, you know, maybe you could say different kinds of crime which is exposed to, over a point of time there are multiple studies which says that his mental health goes down his uh, general health also goes down the way he behaves with his family changes even for example the languages he uses like five years in the service six years in the service the general propensity is to use more bad language than which he used normally seven eight years back he comes home and uses the same with his kids so the fact of the matter is there is this concept of vicarious trauma, trauma because of being exposed to other people's trauma, which is huge in policing. So I realized it's the same everywhere and I found that this is a very well researched topic in United States of America and in fact the government of the United States has devised a program through the IACP which is the International Association of Chiefs of Police and the University of Pennsylvania which is one of the top uh, universities and psychology in the world has devised a program to deal with it so let me come to the second part which is what is resilience resilience the moment you think about resilience think about the mythical animal hydra so you cut one head two heads spring up so resilience is not just you know you know facing an adversity and coming out of it resilience is facing an adversity and coming out of it stronger. Right. I'm told that uh, this program, they took around 25 years to uh, find a definition for this term resilience. 25 years. And they came up with ability to navigate adversity and grow and thrive in the face of challenges. Wow. So <laughs> so I thought I should uh, I should take this program. So I attended the program and then... Uh, uh, I became a master trainer on the same, and they deal with three main things, mind, energy, connection, with a lot of things which we do in our day-to-day life. But this program makes you go through all these things like learned optimism, avoiding thinking traps in a very systematic, organized way. So results, as per research shown in the U.S., is very good. They have now taken it to different uh, forces and different organizations, including the army, including psychologists, those different uh, including private organizations are doing it so i was lucky and i feel quite confident that this program if curated to the needs of india with case studies as per the needs of india would be very good so i intend to replicate this program back home in my department and i'm sure that it will have a positive role in the mental well-being of again i say one of the toughest professions in the world yeah policing
1: excellent thank you so much that is so insightful um could you give me that definition again of resilience so, i want our audience to hear it so that's it. Uh, 25 the definition years, eh?
2: is difficult so remember the hydra cut one head two comes up you know it's not like cut one head and i go to the hospital and somehow survive and live <laughs> no the definition they took uh, they say is ability to navigate adversity so they spend so much time on navigate It's not ability to stop. It's not ability to deflect. It's navigate adversity and grow and thrive in the face of challenges.
1: Excellent. And I see you navigating adversity and growing and thriving in the face of challenges, you know, as a parent, as a father coming to the U.S. and then having to take what is traditionally a woman's role and learning to adapt through it. Um, I see you, you know, professionally and in your personal life growing through this program. In terms of having your family now, you know, last year you were with them here and then now your wife had to go back to India with your children. Would you feel that there was a difference in, you know, having your family here versus having them away? And is there a difference now? Do you feel the program is supportive and in what way in terms of this?
2: Uh, So first part of the question is how I feel uh uh, my family not being here and second part is h- how the program is with respect to a family being here and everything. Mm-hmm. So my wife uh, Ajita Begum, she is also an IPS officer so we met during police training together so she was here as a Humphrey Fellow last year and the great exposure that she was having and the great learning she was having and me at observing it at close quarters was something which really wanted me to do the fellowship myself also. So she's now in a very prominent position there in which she's kind of supervising the law and order in four districts uh, in a place known as Kerala in southern part of India. So why I'm trying to tell this is the fact that uh, as she's in a very responsible position, it was difficult for her to take leave and be here or take a sabbatical so it was a very very difficult decision for us to take and we took the decision that family will go back and I'll be here but again being together the difficulties are many you know uh, uh, we keep uh, missing I keep missing my family so but again uh, this is I think the natural uh, you know it's a it's a necessary Sacrifice that needs to be made for the larger purpose. That's what I feel it is and Humphrey program I have to tell you is so 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 support you last time when I was here with family Of course the program is tough and you have a lot of things to do, but what is possible and what is uh, you know uh, Necessary was always done for us uh, Now alone The issue is I have more time so I can explore more. Uh, Last time maybe I could uh, think of maybe doing only one professional affiliation. Now I can do two or three. I can attend more classes. So I can, uh, because last time we thought that there should be a family experience so I had to take time out to expose my family, my kids to the American culture, to the various places here. But If you look and compare between the two, I think both were great. Uh, My kids grew, or the word I should say is uh, blossomed uh, one year being here. And my blossoming is continuing, so I'm grateful.
1: Wonderful. Blossoming. Oh, I love that word. Um, So another exciting part of our Hangouts as Humphrey Fellows is the social gatherings. And we have a potluck coming up soon. What are you going to make us, Satish? We want to know the tasty Indian dish that you're going to provide us. And who will cook? Are you going to cook?
2: <laughs> I've been, uh, you know, I'm not too much challenged by this because I've been preparing for the last one year, I guess. <laughs> so, uh, but I think I have to kind of mention here that if you say Indian food, uh, maybe you can think out maybe a, a million dishes. Yes, uh, probably. Because... Uh, we are proud of our history and we are having thousands of years of history and just to give an indication of the 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 multicultural society that india is we have 121 different languages wow. 121 different languages so minimum of 121 different cuisines but this will again be staggering if i tell you that there are around 19000 different dialects. Wow. So maybe you could translate to 19,000 different specific dialects. So I was thinking of uh, making some biryani and I was uh, thinking of telling that this is an Indian biryani. Then I realized that there is no such thing as Indian biryani. There is something like Malabar biryani, Hyderabad biryani, Talapakati biryani, and chicken biryani. Chi- chicken biryani but this is the cuisine biryani. The flavors you use, mm. the things which you use, and that the way you cook it, and something in some types of biryani, you cook it with the meat and something, you cook it differently and add it. So I'm spoiled for choices here. So we have such a huge, huge. Uh, I'm spoiled for choices. That's what I said. So hopefully I'll make some biryani. And, but at the same time, I'm looking forward to, you know, uh, tasting and feeling the different uh, cuisines from all around the world. And one of the biggest advantage of this fellowship is that I get to hear about what's happening in Colombia, in Kenya, in Brazil, which till yesterday was something which maybe I'll read in some books. And the biggest learning for me was in interacting with all my esteemed colleagues from in the Humphrey Fellowship, I realized that maybe most of us are facing the same issues and problems and solutions. One place can act a solution elsewhere. And there's so much learning. And the larger thing is that our problems and issues are same, that we are all same.
1: Absolutely. I, I, I completely agree with that. And when it comes to biryani, we also have biryani in Kenya. We normally have it on Fridays in the Swahili coast. Okay. Yeah. Mm, so Delicious. nice to hear. Ooh, <laughs> yes. I'm looking forward to that. Okay. Lastly, Satish, before we let you go, I would love to know if there are any books, literature, movies that, you know, nowadays, you know, that we can we can learn through many forms of media. So is there anything that you feel like our audience can, you know, maybe go on Netflix or like one of the streaming sites to seek and learn about a perspective or culture of India um, that could open them to a deeper understanding of your home country?
2: This, in fact, I think is a very, very tough question. Like you are asking me to kind of tell a book, a movie or a something that will give you an insight into India. That can never happen even if you see, because that is a reality. But at the same time, uh, Bollywood is something which is, you know, spread all around the world because it's really entertaining. You see dance, you see romance, and you see stuff. But one movie which I would really like, it's it's not a very kind of, a, you know, something which gives you deeper meaning. It's a proper entertainer. At uh-huh. the same time, gives you some insight into Indian culture, uh, the multilingual, multi-religious, you know, uh, rainbow that we are. Mm-hmm. So, one movie which I would uh, want all to watch. It's uh, in Netflix. It's Bahubali. So, it's it's Bahubali means a warrior. It's it's kind of a fantas uh, fantasy come historical kind of stuff. It's very nice and entertaining. And you asked me also about a book. So, book. Uh, so. Uh, a book uh, which i really like which really makes you think which really makes you analyze because i think that uh, uh, reading a book should be like you know not filling a bucket but lighting a fire it should be an idea and something so taking that into consideration one big uh, one book i would really love everybody to read is the argumentative indian it's it's a book by a nobel laureate Am- amartya sen And uh, it goes through history, it is kind of historical, but at the same time, it kind of tells us the need to be, uh, you know, the need for uh, Indian democracy to thrive and Indian democracy in thriving because we are, as I said earlier, it's a very multicultural and multilinguistic, very different, different kind of people who come together to form this great nation, India. Uh, in this thriving of Indian democracy is the thriving of a multicultural, multilingual world. It's a kind of a idealist world which we all are trying to make, which we all envision. And uh, uh, Amartya Sen uses strats from history and stuff to show that although we differ, remain different geographically, there was a lot of commonality among us, uh, which, you know, uh, make us feel and breathe Indian. Mm-hmm. So this is something, this commonality maybe should extend and the Indian concept which was, uh, uh, which was told thousands of years back is something known as Vasudeva Kutukudumbam. So 3,000 years back, 2,000 years back, the Indian sages and Indian Puranas told Vasudeva Kutukudumbam which literally translates to all world is a family.
1: Wow. So Wow! Oh, I hope this book. Will I'm not be going to ice. try and repeat it in,
2: in yeah. your language, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: but that's very deep and wonderful. So, thank you so much once again, Satish. Uh, we will provide the links for all the suggestions you've shared in the description of the podcast.
2: Thank you, Florence. Thank you for having me here. It was a pleasure interacting with you. Thank you for your time.
1: Thank you so much. Um, It's been a pleasure having you on our podcast and we can't wait to explore more about your incredible adventures in the future. Maybe we will check in on you in a future time with our podcast. Uh, Stay tuned, everyone, and don't forget to hit that subscribe button. See you next time.